welcome to the Little Things First podcast. I'm Tracy Vandeventer. And I'm Jim Martin. And week to week, we are talking about the little things that make a big difference in schools. Last week, we were able to hear from Deborah Bolden, and she is a principal in Alabama. And uh, she told us all about her philosophy of leadership, how she builds relationships with students and teachers, how she spends her day mostly in classrooms, and how she's willing to go out into the community when necessary to make a difference. Today we get to hear the second part of our interview with this award-winning principal, mm-hmm. and you're going to love it. So you, you give some great examples about your learning process, trying this out, trying that out, and you know, coming up with ideas along the way. I'm curious, if you talk to your younger self, if you could travel in a time machine and give your younger self advice about being successful as an educator, what advice would you give your younger self if you could do it over? You know, you, I, I really thought about that, but there was one thing that I thought about that really hit home because I can I can think back when I was a younger teacher. I, I really wanted to do the right thing all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's important that for young teachers, they need to have things in place in their classroom but you need to learn to pick your battles also. And uh-huh. and sometimes that's hard to do is to learn to pick your battles because every child is different. Every child has a different personality. You know, you, you have to know each child and know how to respond to that student. Um, and, it, you know, because you say it's it can't be completely equal across the board. It can be equitable. But it can't always be equal because what you say or do for one student is not going to fit the other student. Um, for example, if, you know, I have students that if, if they do something just terribly wrong, I know how I have to approach that student, you know, and I'm going to approach each student in a different way because I know the student and I know what could escalate a, a situation, you know, and one thing I will not allow anybody on my staff to do is raise their voice. You know, you're going to treat every student with respect. We're going to respect each other and you are not going to raise your voice when you are speaking with a student, regardless of how angry you are. You know, I always tell them if you're angry, don't, don't talk to the student at that moment. Mm-hmm. But, but whatever you do, do not raise your voice. And I do think it's a hard thing for young teachers to learn to pick their battles with students. But it is something that's that, you know, when you're older, it's something that you do reflect on, you know, because sometimes when you don't pick that battle, things escalate and, and when they don't have to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are what has been the effect of your leadership in some of the schools you talked about? three schools that you've been at uh, as a principal or an assistant principal, what have you seen um, resulting? I'm, I, I'm sorry you broke up. I missed that last part. What did I? Yeah, what, what, what I have see? you seen as a result of your efforts at those three schools? Well, What have been some of the outcomes? Well, the outcomes have been, um, truthfully, they, they, they run very smoothly. Um, everyone knows that there are very high expectations in place. Uh, 
when the community comes in, they will make a comment about the schools, feel, you know, in every school, the school feels welcoming. It feels welcoming. Um, the students know what to do. They know where their boundaries are. The teachers know that we're going to support them no matter what, but we're also going to hold them accountable as well as ourselves. You know, I, I'm going to hold myself as, as accountable, if not more than everybody else. But what we have seen is the schools run very smoothly. Um, they run smoothly if I have to step out to a meeting because they continue, they continue like a, like a well-oiled machine, if you, if you will. Also, once you have everything in place, then you're going to see that your student achievement and student growth is just, it's going to, it's going to skyrocket. Um, the school, the first school where um, I was an administrator in Mobile went from the lowest performing school in the state and actually won the National uh, School Change Award given by Ed Trust. Wow. Um, oh. Right. Uh, my other school went from, it was awful. I mean, it was really, really, really bad. We went to a, a statewide torchbearer school. Um, but, but you, in order for students to learn, they have to have boundaries. They have to have rules. They have to have, they have, to have consistency. And they have to know that people care about them. Um, the school where I am currently uh, last year was a very, very, very low performing school. The state had already come in and conducted an audit on the school and met with the district and basically told them the state had control of schools that were in better shape than this school. Um, it had the lowest schools in the county. The, the scores, like I said on the state test, were terrible. Um, but we made a lot of progress last year which you know it takes basically about five years to really do a good job but this year on the state test this particular state test we take a fall spring uh, mid-year and spring and for the first time our school was very competitive with all the rest of the schools in the county for the first time ever um, wow. and we hope that continues you know and and you just have to you have to continue to move forward uh, as a school. And, you know, like I said, I haven't talked a lot about instruction, but we do, I mean, when we target specific areas, we target specific grade levels, subject areas, individual teachers, uh, the, the professional development that, that I provide my teachers is very, very, very targeted to their needs. Uh, and we see, we have seen some really, really good results with that uh, this year. That's, that is so powerful. And I think when we um, look at the work we're doing, sometimes we are focused on student and building that, you know, culture you're talking about. But I appreciate your reference to the PD and making the, the work you do on supporting teachers be a focus as well. Because I agree that teachers need to also feel really engaged in the work and feel like they're making progress themselves. So how, how did they respond when they were really competitive? How has that shifted the culture in the building you're in now? I actually, um, this, this, this school, when I, I went in in July, 2016, this school, even when I was in, when I was 
first name principal, I actually was in a meeting and in front of me in the meeting, everybody in the district talked down about my school and in front of me. Um, they did it to my teachers in meetings uh, because, you know, when you go around, you say, hey, I'm, a scam I'm from Escambia County Middle School. They would go, oh, you're from the middle school. You know, um, they now uh, people are walking through our building and they are observing our teachers to get ideas district wide. Mm -hmm. um, when they I, uh, I had the scores of all the schools in the district and I didn't want them to see. I wanted them to see our scores, but I didn't want them to see particular school names. So mm -hmm. I took their names off and put school one, school two, school three, because we have 10 schools. Um, and I, I actually didn't show them the data. Uh, I showed it to them about two weeks ago. And I mean, it was like you, the look on their faces mm -hmm. was like, you know, you kept saying if we work hard, if we work hard, if we work hard, that we can compete. Mm -hmm. um, now they know they can because, see, they were told that our children and just they. Our children, we're, we're in the poorest area of the entire community and the whole district. And all the schools and the rest of the district actually look down to this little town and to all the schools here. Uh, and now they're saying, wow, what, what, are, what are they doing to get such great results? Um, you know, and even the principals are asking. Nice. But it's it's that being on the same page, it's that that work ethic. It's the, you know, I, I, my teachers have to turn in their lesson plans to me every Sunday by 530. I check every lesson plan every Sunday at 530. If it's not turned in, of course, if they have a reason, that's fine. If they don't turn it in, I'll email them. Where's your lesson plan? You know, it's, it's things like that. Um, but they're so excited. You know, they know that they, that we're on the right track. They know that they're making a difference in the classroom but they also know that i'm going to give them everything they need to be successful if they ask me a question if they say hey can i try this of course because i let my teachers have their own autonomy in that classroom we don't even follow the district adopted reading here we don't follow it at our school mm -hmm. uh, because i felt from experience we we can do other things that work and it has shown that it has worked. Um, I trust my teachers to make all of the decisions in the classroom. You know, if I go in and conduct walkthrough after walkthrough after walkthrough and see it's not working, then we'll talk about it. But I, if they say, hey, Ms. Bolden, I want to try this resource, okay, I, I get it for them. Whatever they need to be successful, they'll say, can I, can I, I need PD in this area. Uh, you're going to get it. We just do everything we can to support our teachers, to help them become successful. Because honestly, you know, it's hard to, it's hard. Teachers job is very, very, very difficult. And there are some schools in some areas that are more difficult than others. Um, these teachers where I am now, their content knowledge when I got there was, that was the, the weakness was there was no content knowledge. They're much, much better. And honestly, in another year, they could be superstars wherever they go, um, because right. they're gonna they're gonna have that much knowledge. Because I believe in growing my teachers. That is so. That That's is so, so great. Awesome. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, Very inspiring. Hey, Debbie, well, thank you. Well, I'm just thinking as we're wrapping up here, what, what are your closing comments? What else do you think is important for us to think about when we, when we consider, you know, improving education for our students? Uh, you know, I, I, I just think it's, it's just key to, to be consistent with what you're doing. Uh, make sure that everyone knows the expectations that you have. And you have to constantly remind people of your expectations, especially if, if you're a, a school administrator. You know, you have to model what you expect, and then you have to follow up on what you expect. And you, you just have to be very consistent and make sure that everyone is adhering to what you ask them to do. And they, you know, and they do need reminders. Mm -hmm. You know, the students, we, we meet, um, we meet with our students as grade levels. The just administrators meet with them. We meet with them probably four or five times a year, you know, to check in on them because we pull their grades, we check on things. But they know we care, and they know that we're going to do everything we can to make them successful. And all that goes back to, honestly, is building relationships with those kids. I think that is very, very, very important. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Debbie. Um, I um, am very inspired by your work today, and um, I think other people are going to be equally inspired. And, uh, I mean, I... I think the proof is in the results that you've been able to get at different settings that you've been in. And so congratulations on all of that and on really, as you described, growing your teachers and investing in them so heavily and in relationships with them and students. Yeah. Correct. Well, thank you so much. It was, it was actually a pleasure to talk to you. I enjoyed talking to you at the conference and it's, it's nice to be able to speak to people not in your district sometimes. Right. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, Debbie, and have a great day. Thank you so much. You too. All right. Thank Bye. you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, Jim, I love listening to Deb Bolden, and she is so inspiring, and I am so excited, but I also have to tell you, I leave feeling sometimes so inadequate. So remember, in the first half, she's talking about how she's showing up at school at 430, and then in this part of the interview, she's sharing with us that she is having all of her teachers collect their lesson plans at, by 5.30 on Sunday. Uh, I'm, I'm just trying to wrap my head around, what would I do if I had all of their lesson plans? And I don't even want to confess this you know, online, but the truth is I really don't know how collecting those lesson plans would help me help my teachers. What are you thinking? What, what are your thoughts about that? Well, the first thing that popped into my head is that it just makes teachers accountable, right? So it makes all of us accountable. We have to have our lesson plans done by 5.30. And so there's this confidence that everybody's prepared. And that's, that's what I thought. I mean, I obviously wouldn't be able to review all those lesson plans. And there's probably curricula that she's not even familiar with. But, you know, just the fact that teachers have to submit those and she has the comfort of knowing that all of her teachers are planned. I, I see that in theory, Jim. Okay, I see that. But I remember working with, with a teacher who was struggling and ended up actually not continuing on. He was a pretty veteran teacher. And that was one of the things we had done to try to help him because he wasn't very planned and he didn't have very many engaging activities going on. 
And I'm so disappointed because he had gobs of lesson plan materials and he still couldn't deliver. So we have to pick this conversation up at a future conversation because I want that to work for me. And I don't, obviously I'm not sure how to help lead people through that. So. Well, and I just wonder, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when she told her staff that that was the expectation. She talked a lot about high expectations, but I just wonder how they reacted or how she convinced them that this was the best thing to do for kids. I, I don't know. And if she had a template and if they used that for math and literacy and, you know, science and social studies and all the different areas. Oh, no, she was in secondary school, so it's not quite the same at the elementary. So I'm, we're going to have to pick this up, okay, Jim, because I definitely want to keep, I believe in it. I just don't know how I can apply it to help really raise the rigor in my school. I wonder if we need to reach back out to Deborah and just ask her some of these follow-up questions. I wonder if any of our listeners have any questions that they'd like to know from Deborah. We can maybe ask her about those. Yeah, yeah. And then, Jim, just a minute ago, you mentioned high expectations. I wrote that in my notes, too. Just what, what high standards she is holding for her teacher. And she herself said, you know, the key is consistency, you know, knowing what those expectations are and, you know, following up and kind of reminding people. I don't feel like she was trying to do a gotcha. I think she was really just sort of saying, here's how we do things. Um, Wondering, you know, what does that look like too in the hallways? How How does that appear? And it's maybe a little thing to compliment someone who's meeting those expectations. What, what were you thinking when you heard her say that? Well, what really struck me is that the high expectations with maximum support. So she said, if teachers need something, I provide it. I give them a lot of autonomy. I give them a lot of freedom to try new things. And to me, that's really what it's about. So people were willing to adhere to those high expectations because they knew she had their back. That's what I'm thinking about that. Yeah. You know, Jim, I was thinking about you and the work that you've been doing uh, in your career as a leader. Uh, So I want to pass it off to you to talk about equal, not maybe always equal, but equitable. Well, and that was one of the questions I had because she said consistency. But then when she talked about students, it was very inconsistent sometimes because it really was about what does this kid need? And just picking your battle. She used that phrase quite a bit, which I really like because I think in schools sometimes And I was just listening to a podcast the other day where they talked about the difference between compliance and learning. Sometimes we get into this compliance mode of, you know, I've got to have this kid do exactly what I say at the moment that I say. And sometimes that's not always what's best. Yeah. And to go along with that in the behavior sense, she talked about don't raise your voices. Mm, Yeah. What an influence that has on school culture. Um, And, And it made me also think that we don't have to find ourselves in this place where we always have to win, whatever win looks like. Sometimes we get in this big power struggle with kids and yelling is part of that. Raising your voice is part of that. And picking your battles is part of that, right? Sometimes it's okay because you want to think about the end goal, I guess. Right. I'm, I'm not sure, but the, the, the mind is swirling because I'm even curious about maybe not raising your voice, but I have a teacher who at times can be kind of sarcastic. Mm. And I think that that really can cut uh, kids. And in fact, I just read an article 
um, about the influence, you know, kind of like the undercurrent of passive aggressive behavior can have on kids and their performance. So there's not necessarily yelling there, but really recognizing kids, kids need to be treated with respect always. And um, I love, I love what she's trying to do. T tell me what you think about, um, in general, your own building and, and culture, right? The culture building, because she talks about that there is positive culture in her, in her schools. What are, what are you thinking in your mind? What are some little things you've done, Jim? Well, I, I mean, I think we, we renamed our PBIS team, Culture and Climate. Um, I, I just think, you know, she talked a lot about culture and, and emphasizing culture and that will lead to student achievement. And I've always heard that, you know, combining culture and student achievement, that's what really makes the big difference you have to pay attention to both simultaneously and so um i mean you know and listening to somebody i think it's always so fascinating and inspiring i said that in the the interview and at the same time it's kind of like how i felt when i was student teaching and i went into a classroom a master teacher's classroom and i have no idea how they got there you know so it leaves us with more questions than answers and i guess that's the sign of you know, a good interview. I mean, it's, it's a great, it's a great um, way for us to kind of explore some topics and not yeah. have all the answers. So, yeah. and, and I'm here to tell you in big, bold letters, I do not have all the answers and I have no. some questions. Right. I, want, I want to be Deb Bolden when I grow up, you know, I, I know. I want to find that balance. I want to find that place where you can hold that rigor, hold those high expectations um, and, and lead the school into really some pretty significant academic growth and and also you know having people just jump in and be part of that community and have that be welcoming and have you know she talked about it being a mess and being kind of really crazy and that kids are out of control and I mean that in itself uh, really takes some pretty pretty significant work you know to try and right. just the culture of kids and she's at that junior high level which you know, that's when aliens start taking over children's brains and, and they're not always thinking anymore like they used to. Well, and it's just that efficacy piece too. I, the teachers, she said, when they started to see the results change, they just believed in their work. And, yeah. you know, it's so hard for a school that is sort of entrenched in years and years of struggle. And, you know, how do you, how do you get beyond that so that teachers can start to believe in their work? And, um, I mean, that makes a difference, but you got to see some success. It's like the chicken and the egg. You got to see some success before those feelings of efficacy can emerge. Yes, exactly. Now, um, Karen Chenoweth, I think is going to be coming for our next um, interview. And I'm so excited because that's sort of how you bumped into Deborah Bolden. Am I right? Right. Karen was doing a presentation at Learning Forward. Deborah Bolden was in the room and Karen had done some research on Deborah's work. So uh, Karen is a great scholar through EdTrust and I'm excited to talk to her. Yeah, exactly. So we'll pick that up in a week and uh, thank you, Jim, for being so uh, put together and keeping everything lined up so that you can actually go grab somebody famous and important like Karen Chenoweth to come and spend a little time with us and give us some insights into how we can make 
the little things first um, really make a big difference for our schools. Yeah, I just happen to be in the right place at the right time, I guess. Yeah, very good. <laughs> All right, Jim, thank you very much, and we'll talk with you again in a week. All right, see you next week. All right, see you next week.